and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We are in week seven of a series titled Royals. Royals, and the, and the premise of the whole series is cultivating uh, kingdom-driven relationships, more specifically kingdom-driven families. Okay, that's really been the whole topic. It's been the whole premise of why we're doing this series. Uh, the only way we're going to be able to cultivate kingdom-driven families in our homes is if we collectively, corporately submit ourselves to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus, right? Romans 10, 9 says, those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is they will be saved, okay? We have, to, we have to receive the revelation that Jesus must be Lord of our lives to receive all that God has for us here and now on earth, but also in the life to come, amen? How many knows that this life is temporary? This life is but a vapor. There's much more after this, okay? So we're walking through this whole year with our eyes fixed on the eternal, realizing that we're not a part of an earthly kingdom, but we're a part of an eternal heavenly kingdom. So what does it look like? When I'm, when I'm a, a member of the kingdom of heaven, what does that mean and what does it look like? And we're going to cover it as our theme is Kingdom Co. for the whole year. We're going to pull that apart. Does that sound okay? I was hoping Martha was in the room. I don't know if she's in the room, but last week she came up to me and she said, I want to hear the word. And I took that personal. So y'all are getting the word this morning, okay? Y'all are getting the word this morning. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the Old Testament book, Nehemiah. And in that book, Nehemiah, you have a man named Nehemiah, and he's a cupbearer for a king. And at this point in time, um, the Jewish people have been taken captive by the Babylonian army, and they're in exile. So when they get taken into exile or moved into exile, when they're conquered, their enemy pretty much ravishes all of Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem significant? Why is Jerusalem sacred? It's the epicenter of Judaism. It's what hosts the temple. And the, te the temple represents the manifest presence and glory of God. It holds the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the priests go in and meet with God. It's where they offer sacrifices once a year to atone for the sins of the people. Jerusalem is significant and it's sacred, but it's been totally torn down. They've knocked down the temple. They've knocked down the, the city. They've knocked down the walls and it's been destroyed. And Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer for a Persian king and he receives... Uh, information, he receives news, NBC pulls up on his TV, and it looks like some, some of the Jews are being released, and they're heading back to Jerusalem. But as these Jews are being released from exile and coming back into Jerusalem, they're realizing and recognizing that the city's been destroyed. So Nehemiah hears the news, and he's heartbroken over the news. This is his people. This is his sacred city of his sacred God. And, and, and so he weeps and he prays and he fasts and, and he approaches the king that he's the cupbearer for. And he says, hey, can I go back to Jerusalem? Can I go, go back with my people? And he finds, be, whether it was because of the praying and the fasting or whatever, God gives Nehemiah favor with the king. And the king not only sends him back, but gives him an escort and protection to get back safe and sound. Okay, so Nehemiah rolls up on the scene. And what you'll discover, it's so beautiful, 
you know, this is a, a message in itself. He's a cupbearer. He's just a servant to the king. But then he goes back and you begin to realize that there is a, a, an incredible elite leader in the person of Nehemiah. Because when he gets back into Jerusalem, he just starts giving people commands and he starts putting together a plan. He's like, listen, we're going to rebuild this city. Okay, and that's where we drop into our story here. So that's kind of a long intro into our key scripture. I'll read this, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach. That cool? Come on, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Here we go, Nehemiah 4. Lengthy piece of passage, but honestly, anything that's in the Bible is better than anything I'm going to say. Can we get another amen? amen. So let's just read it, all right? Nehemiah 4 says this, but when Sambalat, Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. So they've already, you know, they're, they're rebuilding the temple. But at this point in time, Nehemiah has rallied the Jews to rebuild the wall. He's put plans in place to rebuild the wall. And the enemies are kind of mocking them, kind of laughing at them. You know, local governing officials like, what are you guys doing? You're not going to, you're not really going to rebuild this wall. But all of a sudden there's great Great progress taking place, and they're like, oh, oh no, we, we, don't, we don't want the Jews to reestablish this sacred space. The enemy doesn't want them to establish sacred space, okay? So here you can hear them. You can hear them. They're grumbling, the enemies around them, talking about the work that they're trying to build, what they're trying to restore, what they're trying to fix. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion, but we prayed to our guard and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Come on, faith and works. We prayed, but we were ready to rock and roll too. Amen. And then verse 10, the people of, Ju of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved and we'll never be able to build these walls by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying before they know what's happening, we're going to swoop down on them, kill them, and we're going to end their work. Come on, while they're doing the work, what is sacred work, there's an enemy plotting against them. Does it sound familiar, anybody? Okay, the Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again. So they're receiving, as they hear conversations from other uh, leaders, from other enemies, as they're hearing the rumors spread, they're coming and telling the people who are doing the work in Jerusalem, they're communicating what's happening. This is, this is what they're saying. They're going to come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall. This is Nehemiah. He's saying, so, so I, I put some things in place. I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts. Can we just hit the ACs real quick? Have someone run around, put them on 68, please, because I'm, I'm about to melt into a puddle, and, and, and it's going to be a cliffhanger. It's going to be continued to next week, okay? I'm up here just about to be dripping, so... <laughs> Before they all know what's happening, we'll swoop down and kill them. Okay, I'm in verse, I think, 13. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Nehemiah, this incredible leader, he's got this incredible gift of leadership and faith on his life where he's rallying the Jews and saying, we're not going to be scared of our enemy, okay? This is good. I love it. It's like Braveheart. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is sacred space. We're God's sacred people. We're not going to be scared. 
We're, we're on the side that has the victory. I can't even get through the key scripture without preaching, y'all. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load, the other one holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. and The trumpeteer stayed with me to sound the alarm. Verse 19, I know it's long, hang with me. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then God will fight for us. We're almost there. Here, here's really the part I want to get to. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. And half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. So there are Jews in the surrounding areas, but he's saying, hey, while we're building, we're going to stay together, okay? So he said, I asked them to stay inside the walls. That way, their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. Verse 23, during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took our clothes off. Good, because I wasn't trying to see that anyway, Amen. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. Have my, my dad's the only one laughing at the joke, and that's sympathy laughing right there. Okay? I appreciate that. Yeah, I do. And then, they says, and, and then he says this, we carried our weapons with us at all times. We carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. So grateful for the opportunity to communicate to a room full of people. It's humbling, Lord. I pray for an anointing from your Holy Spirit to communicate your word with truth, with grace, uh, effectively. Would, would you grace us with that this morning? Uh, would you till the soil of our heart, help it to receive the seed of your truth. We want to be impacted and transformed by it. If we just come in here every week and we just get our ears tickled, if we just listen, but we don't do, we're deceiving ourselves. We need to grab hold of this word. We need to internalize this word. Come on, that the word is going to be what gives us victory. So Father, I just pray today as we sit in here that you would do something supernatural on the inside of us, that real growth would take place, that real impact would be made in heads and in hearts, that people would be restored, that we would be transformed, that you would develop and cultivate us into a company of kingdom people. And I pray that we foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. I know a lot of you have heard me say this like a hundred times, so you're going to hear me say it 101 times, but I'm, I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Rhode Island, blah, blah, blah. You, I know you guys know. You know, when I left, it was voted the least biblically minded city in America. I know you guys know. I've said it multiple times, but there's new people in the room and they don't know. So where I come from is just very dark spiritually. So um, I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, but because I was in grade school and then went through high school and then graduated there, um, I still have a lot of relationships that I have back in that area, back in that geographical location. And with social media and everything, it's really easy to stay connected with my friends and my peers from that area. Um, 
But knowing that there's no biblical foundation to people's ideologies and philosophies on life, when I engage with with conversation uh, with friends and peers from that area, a lot of times when we talk and when we talk about things in depth, we're, we're just not in alignment. We don't, we don't always agree on like what we consider to be right, what we consider to be wrong, what we consider healthy, unhealthy, insignificant, most significant. It's just we're not aligned. We, we don't always line up. Sometimes our truths look different. Okay, and over the years, though, because I know the word of God and we know the word of God is truth, something has to be true, right? Something has to define what's right and wrong. Something has to define what's good and what's bad. And because I have the truth, I don't say it arrogantly, but I say it because of who I know, it's him. Because I have that, I've been able to speak into some of my peers, some of my friends in some powerful ways over the years. And it's because of him and his truth. So, and, and I got to be honest with you, you know, I'm still a lot of, have a lot of social media friends, um, you know, peers from that area. And they, and they watch from a distance on socials and Facebook. And they see that we're feeding people and that we're fostering kids and we're talking about Jesus and we're preaching truth and blah, 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 blah. And like, I'll get messages from people that I know well and don't know well. And they're like, Hey, I'm watching. And I see this, my sister went back for a wedding in the summer and she had some cool conversations. People are watching and, and hopefully they're receiving the gospel through all of that. But just a couple weeks ago, I missed a call at like 1 a.m from one of my friends uh, that I graduated high school with. And so I, I, I just figured, you know, it's every once in a while, I have like my buddies from high school, they'll call me and they're all drunk at a party and they're like, Boy, ah, you know, like that's just what's going on or whatever that at the bar. So I just figured maybe this was a drunk call, whatever, no big deal. But I texted, hey man, sorry, I missed your call. Would love to catch up with you. He goes, yeah, man, actually, can you, can you talk? And so this is in the morning. So I'm assuming that he's sober and Maybe he actually wants to talk about something. So I say, yeah, for sure. Gave him a call and um, we just kind of opened up, you know, just asking him how he's doing. And he just starts getting kind of vulnerable with me. And he's like, man, he goes, I really actually, I've been wanting to kind of talk to you. He goes, man, uh, you know, and this guy is really bright, really intelligent, uh, he making under just a million dollars a year involved with stocks and the market. And, you know, and we always knew this is who he would be. But from the outside looking in, he's got everything you could want, right? L- living the life, chasing his dream. And he reaches out and he's like, man, the market's crashing and work's been crazy stressful. And then I'm going home and he's like, I gotta be honest, I'm probably drinking a little too much. And my girlfriend's mad at me and she doesn't like my behavior. I'm not being super kind to her. And I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm just feeling discouraged. I'm just kind of feeling in a rut. And I just, I don't really know. I don't even really know why I'm talking to you or why I'm calling you or I just wanted to reach out. So, you know, it just, it was cool that he thought uh, I was the person to come to to have this conversation, but I just started asking him some questions, asking him big questions like, man, what's, what's you know, okay, so what's, what's the vision for your life, man? Is there discontentment in your life because you're not lined up with your vision? I'm like, what's important to you? What, what do you value the most? Uh, eventually, I worked my way around to like, what's your purpose? What do you exist for? And his answers are pretty typical. Someone in this spot, he's like, man, I want to be successful in what I do. I, I want to perform well at work. I, I want to be successful 
and in my, what I exist for, you know, my purpose is my girlfriend, my friends and, and my family, you know, my relationships. And so, you know, all of us, we've all been raised in the Bible belt. So even if we're not walking with Jesus, we know to at least say like Jesus is at least in the top three, right? Like, yeah, I live for Jesus. You know, duh, I, I live for Jesus. It's like, right, right, right. But with him, like just, just so you get an idea of where he's at, that's not even in the top three. That's not even in the conversation. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of anything spiritual. It's like, you know, perform and these relationships. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And I'm like, and I was literally walking around in here in the worship center having this conversation. I said, man, I was like, I'm like, dude, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy. So it's really hard for me to not have this conversation and not mention Jesus. He's like, no, I get it. I get it. That's actually part of the reason I called you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I'm like, the word tells me that all things which I believe is truth, so it's real, like it's what we really should base our life off of. We should take it very seriously. There should be real application because it's truth. It leads us into freedom. I said, the word tells me, I had a flip phone apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. I said, man, as I'm having this conversation, you're discontent about some things in life. But I said, you know, for us, if, if, if all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, but we don't live in a way that acknowledges or recognizes that, then we will always be wandering. And you can perform at work and, and you can make the money and you can have the relationship but you're, you're experiencing it right now. But all the things that you're going to build your purpose, your significance, your identity on, every, everything you're leaning into for your hope, for your joy, for your peace, for your purpose, for your significance, for what gives you value as a person, it's all sand, dog. It's all sand. And you're finding that out right now. That, it, that, that, that the market can crash and then, and then the dollars aren't coming in like they used to. That the girl can cheat on you. And then it's over. And, and now, you're, now you're lost. That, that the friends can die. That the friends can betray you. That the friends can hurt you. And I just try to communicate them. It's, it's hard. I know that's heavy to like, man, I was just trying to feel a little better. And here we are. You know, but it's like, man, if, if you don't put, if, if you don't recognize that your purpose, your significance, your identity is built on something eternal and you keep placing it on things that are temporal, then just you're going to be all over the place, man. I'm not surprised you're hitting the bottle looking for a little relief because you've got nothing else to lean into. It's like a, another conversation that I had with a dude named Benjamin on a plane. I was taking a plane to Florida. This is like 10 months ago. Some of you who were here, maybe you heard this story. Got on a plane, really cool story. Got on a plane, this dude sits next to me, feel the Holy Spirit, whisper to my heart, drugs. Talk to him about drugs. And I'm like, man, I'm just on this plane. I'm not, I don't want to just say, hey, are you doing drugs? Like, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't feel like, long story short, really, really quick. Halfway through the plane, I pull out my Bible. I'm reading my Bible. He asked me what it is. Long story short, he's on his way to Florida to go to a 30-day rehab because he just tried to commit suicide by overdosing on drugs. Wild. So we sit there. We say the sinner's prayer together and all that. But in that conversation that I had with Benjamin on the plane, I said, Benjamin, what's your purpose? What do you, what do you exist for? And he goes, to be a good purpose. Or to, to be a good purpose. To be a good person. To be a good person. And I challenged his response. I said, well, what makes a person good though, Benjamin? 
because Hitler probably thought he was being a good person. So good can't just be subjective. Something has to place boundaries around what is good, what is evil. And, and there's something in your spirit that, that desires to be good, and you have an idea of what good things are, but it's my God that created those good things and has commanded us to live out those good things. You know, there has the point of the stories, both stories, is that there has to be truth. There has to be something that defines what is good and what is bad, right? What is significant, what is not significant. What my relationships should look like, what they shouldn't look like. What my marriage should be, what it shouldn't be. What parenting my kids should look like, what it should, there has to be truth of this is right, this is wrong. This will give you life and life to the full. This is death and it's bad and it's evil. We have to understand that truth exists. But what many of you have probably recognized, like I have recognized, is that there is a constant effort from our enemy to distort truth. And we've seen it from the garden to Jesus in the desert. They snake plucks the fruit with the arms that he has. <laughs> Did God really say? Did God really say? You can think, you know, we see such a deterioration of truth in our society that even your, your physical body parts don't necessarily dictate if you're a man or if you're a woman. So what we see is I really believe it's a demonic tack on, on this generation to, to strip us of our identity because if you're a man or if you're a woman, God has purposely created you to be those things because there are specific roles and callings that are related to both of those roles. Where if I'm a man, he's made me a man and he's given me instruction for what a godly man looks like. In the same way, if he's made me a woman, he's made me a woman and there's, there is a, a design that he has for women in a way that y'all are to carry yourselves. And it is very specific. God has done it very specifically on you. But, but there's, this, there's this whisper that you can just be whatever you want to be. And you just feel the way you want to feel. And you just live your truth. And you just do what makes you feel good. Come on, how many got into some trouble just chasing what made you feel good in life? Got to be careful with that. We have to understand that truth exists. But the world we're living in right now is constantly distorting truth. So it might sound good, but it's not true. It might sound good. It might sound right, but it's not truth. And to find freedom, we need truth because the truth will set you. Y'all read your Bibles, praise God. We know some of these lies have been whispered. You're going to find your wife if you know she's going to be your wife. This is, some, this is a lot of my buddies back home. Y'all got to live together first and figure it out. Yeah, before you get married, you got to see how the sexual chemistry is. This is going to be your, this is going to be your lady. This is going to be your man. You got to figure that out. This is, this is what culture whispers to us. Sounds good. Sounds logical. Yeah, sure. I got to do a test run. We got, we got to see if we, can, if we can live together before we live together for 40 years. 
Statistics are just showing me different. Sounds good, but it's just not truth, right? Come on, you got to grind. You got to grind. You got to grind. If you can get to a place where you got all the money you need, come on, then you can live the life that you dreamed of. Then you'll, then you'll have, if you, if you make this amount of money, you get it like that, you'll be good. No more worries. Come on, y'all are quiet. Sounds good. It's just not true. Because I got a dude making a million dollars a year drowning. Sounds good. It's just not truth. And God only knows what Instagram videos, what TikTok videos, what our kids are consuming day after day with content coming at them that sounds good. The video sounds good. The motivational speech sounds good. The music sounds good, but it's not true. Like as believers, we have to live with a hyper-awareness that we have an enemy who is constantly scheming. And we see it in the word. I'll get to Ephesians 6. Y'all know it's coming, but I need to read it. It's good. Come on, the word is always good. But Ephesians 6 tells us the enemy's scheming. So we need to put on our armor to stand against his schemes. But we see one of his most common schemes is just to distort truth. I make it sound good, but it's not true. And serve it to you on a plate. Again, we saw it in the garden. And we'll look at Jesus here in the desert because the enemy even tried to do it. He had the audacity to try with Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 4 really quick. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus... The God-man, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted, and he became hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're really the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Again, it sounds good. Man, just, that doesn't even sound evil, does it? Turn the stones into bread? Big deal. You ain't killing anybody. You ain't cheating on your wife. Turn, turn the stones into bread. But it's just not what Jesus was called to do right there, though. Jesus is supposed to be fasting, right? Let's keep reading. Jesus said, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus fight? Oh, okay. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, verse five, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're really the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You see this manipulation of, He's even touching on truth, but it's distorted, right? Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said. If you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and only serve him. And the devil was defeated. And the devil went away. And angels came and took care of Jesus. The word tells me, if I, res if I resist the devil, he'll flee. 
And we see it with Jesus. The devil taking the source of truth, the devil using God's word in, in, in this interaction with Jesus, in this battle with Jesus, he's distorting it. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds. He responds with the word, right? So not only ourselves, but, but especially our children, there is in this social media, digital age that we're living in, there's this constant stream of information that we're just receiving. Before it was like, you just sat and read the newspaper and that's all the, you know, that's what I had to deal with for the day. Now it's constant. It's just always there. Pictures, articles, videos, 15 second video, 15 second video, information, information, information. And it's, and, it's, and it's just coming, and it's just coming. And, and, and if we don't immerse ourselves, align ourselves, and prioritize the internalization of God's word, it will be very difficult to discern and cut through all the information that we have to see to find out this is truth, this isn't. This is life-giving, this isn't. This is evil, this isn't. Not every video and motivational chat and article and post we read is saturated with truth, even though it might sound good. If, if, if we don't prioritize internalizing the word of God, we are stepping into a battle without a sword. We are stepping into a battle where we have no weapons and we need to receive revelation that the word of God is our weapon this morning. It's truth. It's what we fight with. This is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 6. He said, listen, there's a devil and he's got schemes and it's not a flesh and blood fight. It's spiritual. Guess what the scriptures tell us? It's in the mind. So it's information that's contaminating and polluting our mind in our, in our belief is really what determines our behavior. Y'all have heard me preach it. So we got to get our thought life right. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta fit and squeeze and internalize and memorize and know truth so I can fight the battle that I'm in. If we don't know truth, if our kids don't know truth, they are gonna lose this war. Ephesians 6, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so you'll stand firm against the strategies of the devil. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, I know it's coming out of a phone, but we have to maybe think, and I know I sound like a grouchy old man, but behind some of this content and these videos, there's evil behind them and we're ingesting it, and we're consuming it, and, and we're allowing it to take place in our lives. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of, and the body of armor of God's righteousness for shoes, Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows that the devil's sending. Put on salvation as your helmet. And listen to this. Take the sword of the spirit, which is it's the word. The word is my weapon. Come on, nothing else in here. You see any other weapons in there? I see some defense stuff. I see, you know, shoes. I see a shield. 
breastplate, but there's only one weapon. It's the word. It's the word. Come on, repeat after me. The word is my weapon. Come on, if we're going to fight, if we're going to recognize we're in a spiritual battle every day, we got to pick up our weapon every day. Amen? Paul wrote it like this, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning back to the mind. He's saying there is a war that's taking place. It's almost like it's taking place in our intellect. Like it's in our minds, it's in our thoughts, it's in information that we carry. This is, this is, this is the war that we're in to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and we destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious. Their rebellious. Is it not behind me? Okay. <laughs> I don't got two people reading along with me in the word. The, yeah, they're rebellious royals. Wrong. <laughs> Worship team, come on. <laughs> We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We uncontaminate, depollute, if that's a word, their thoughts with truth. It's truth. We cut, we cut away with truth. We cut away the anything that exists that's not true. The war we're in is a spiritual war. And the enemy wants to distort truth. And ultimately, uh, it wants to distort the truth that there's a heaven and there's a hell. But here's the truth, church. I wish Martha was in the room so she could hear it. Hell exists. Heaven's real. Hell is real. And you and I are broken and we're sinful. And the way that this whole thing works, there is somebody in the same way a criminal has to do time for their crime, we all have to pay for our brokenness. Someone's got to pay for the sin. The wages of sin are death. The only way your sin can be paid for is through death. And here's what we have to understand. You can either pay for it through your eternal death, or you can allow Jesus to pay for it through his eternal life. <laughs> right? And it is only by faith that I get to receive this. And that's the truth. For us, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's only Jesus. Putting our faith in Jesus, recognizing that I can't do it apart from my Savior, but He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one gets to the Father. No one steps into eternity without faith in Jesus. He's the door, he's the gate, the narrow gate, whatever you want to call them. It's him. God out of love sent his son Jesus to earth to sacrifice him, to purchase you and I. It required a precious blood, but he paid the price. And he's invited us to receive that forgiveness. But it's about making Jesus Lord. And what Satan wants to do, whether you recognize it or not, is make himself Lord of your life. And you can't serve two masters. But I promise you this, 
you'll always have a Lord. He's going to exist. You're, you're going to have a Lord one way or the other. You just got to choose who's that Lord's going to be. A couple more scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, what it communicates to us about the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God. Okay, all, all scripture is inspired by God. It's, it, it's put together through the power of the spirit, the inspiration of the spirit, and it's useful. Someone say, it's useful. The scriptures are useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. What is right and what is wrong has nothing to do with how you feel. What is right and what is wrong has nothing to do with what you feel. There may be times where your feelings are right. There may be times where your feelings are wrong. But what we know is the word of God is undefeated in separating truth from what's not true. Good from bad, right? Good from evil. So God uses the word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So if we're going to go step out into a spiritual battle day after day, if our kids are going to go step out into a spiritual battle day after day, do we want to be equipped? Do we want them to be equipped for the good things and to know truth? Would our lives communicate that? Have we prioritized the word of God in our lives or in others' lives? Listen, church, if, you don't, if you're not in your word every day, time to start. I mean, there is no reason we should not consume this thing like, like, like in the same way we consume food. You're not going to forget to eat. You're not going to forget to go to the bathroom. But some of us are so content to just not consume this. Like we're not in this spiritual battle day after day, 24-7. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, it's alive. It's powerful. I said it like this, the Bible breathes. It's alive. Kayla, my Bible's under that chair right there. Would you mind to grab it for me really quick? This is my niece. Give it up for Kaylin. She's in the room. She needs Jesus. Praise God. Come on, I I did it like this. It's alive and it's active. You need to get your life together. Um, It's alive and it's active. We got to consume this. We got to have conversations with this. We, we, we got to ingest this every day. We got to, what, what, what does it have to say? What, uh, prepared, equip. I'm going to encounter God. As I come to this, as I read this, I'm going to encounter God. It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between spirit. It cuts between soul and exposes between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts. What that tells me is this scripture ministers to our secrets. The scripture ministers to our secrets. You can hide everything from everyone, but you ain't gonna hide it from this. The word is my weapon. This is how I fight. Jesus used it against the devil. Hebrews tells us it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Ephesians tells us it's, it, it's a sword. It's a sword. And I bet there's like two or three critical thinkers in the room who are like, Pastor Mark, you spent like 15 minutes reading out of Nehemiah and you haven't mentioned one thing about it. So what is, there we go. Johnny's like, back to um, topic. Like I'm supposed to talk about this with my life group. What's, what's going on here? What, what's the deal? 
So keys, you can come. Check this out. Let's go back. What y'all don't realize is the message was the setup for the sword. That's what it was. The message was the setup because we have to recognize that the word is our weapon. And then we have to go and look. What are those in battle? What, when they were rebuilding something that was sacred, what did they do with their weapon? How important was their weapon? How often did they set it down? I'm just getting water. I just got to grab some water. No, no, no. Take it with you. We never set it down. Because this, this enemy is prowling around 24-7. He's always on attack. So let's just read really quick. Is it cool if I go long? Is that okay? Y'all are like, no. All right. So Nehemiah 4, 14 through 20. Not going to read the whole thing again, just a little bit here. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Come on, y'all got to remember the victory's already been won. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with their spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand, supporting their load with one hand, holding a weapon in the other. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeteer stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. And when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then God will fight for us. Here's where I wanted to get to. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, 24, 7. And half the men were always on guard. I always told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. And that way their servants could help with guard duty at night and, and work during the day. And during this time, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor my children, nor my wife, ever took our clothes off. But we carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. And in, in the same way the Jews of Nehemiah's day were working to establish, rebuild, fortify, and fix what they found sacred in the physical, many of us are experiencing a similar construction project in the spirit right now. I know there's been some things the enemy stolen, crushed, and broken in your life. I, I know there's, I, I know there's, uh, uh, your family might be more broken than it's ever been. I know the grief you've been walking through makes it hard to get up out of bed. I know the words of death that were spoken over you are starting to feel a whole lot more like truth, more than ever before. But here's what I know: God's put His Spirit inside me. God's put His Spirit inside you and what he's doing in you and me is sacred it's time to rebuild God placed you in your home on purpose and maybe you haven't always gotten it right but those people have been appointed to you and you to them it's time to rebuild what's sacred the enemy through his schemes he's tried to lie to you steal from you kill some things in your life that God gave you and, and if you think you can walk out of here with a rebuild strategy and not suffer attack you're wrong come on he's always on attack Nehemiah recognized their enemy could attack at any time so they prepare we carry our weapons with us at all times 
We need to know that this is our weapon. So not only do we need to internalize this word, consume it, but we need to speak this word over ourselves. We need to wash ourselves with it. We need to speak this word over our spouses. We need to speak this word and pray this word over our children, over our loved ones, over our friends, over our coworkers. We, we need the word to help us discern as we're consuming the TV show, cutting through what's truth, what's not truth, what's good, what's evil. As we're, as we're listening to the album, what's truth, what's not truth? It, what, is it contaminating my spirit? Is it polluting my spirit where I won't have the same intimacy with Jesus that I normally have if I, if I receive all this? When our peers come to us, when your buddy calls you and says, man, I'm, I'm discouraged. I don't know what's going on. Do you have truth to counsel them with so they can find real freedom? Here's my last bit. Worship team, you can come. The word is more than just the scriptures. But in John 1, we see that Jesus himself is referred to as the word. I'll close with this, John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, the word already existed. And when this verse says the word, it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everybody. I love this verse, John 1, 5, so good. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Here's what you need to know. If you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, if you're not living with Jesus as Lord of your life right now, the darkness will always triumph. But he's the light. He's the word. He's the weapon that gives us victory. When, when we come to a place where we're willing to die to ourselves and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, darkness triumphs no more. That doesn't mean I won't walk through some things on this earth, but the victory's already won. Amen? But it comes down to, is, is he Lord? Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.